welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from scratch, Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. We have a couple of housekeeping notes before we get into the episode. Next week, June 7th, there won't be a regularly scheduled podcast episode to listen to. Instead, we're going to do something a little bit different. We recently answered a question about opening the shop that was in the Dear Scratch section, and we kind of mentioned that maybe at some point we would do a live to talk to you and answer questions about things. That time is upon us. On Monday, June 6th, we'll be going live at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to talk with you. You can ask us questions. You want to know about starting a yarn shop? We'll tell you. You've got a knitting question? We'll tell you that too. And we'll also do a quick check-in on your progress on our summer knit-along that is about to begin. The times we've done lives previously, we've done them on Instagram. And we know not everyone who listens to this has an Instagram account. So we're going to do an experiment and we're going to try going live on YouTube. Very experimental. Maybe famous last words. We'll find out. We're going to put links to our brand new YouTube channel on the podcast website in the show notes of this episode. We'll put it on our Instagram account. And it is just makegoodpod.com backslash YouTube. We'll also take you there. Could be fun. So we hope you'll join us. If you're listening to this podcast today on the day it is released, it is May 31st. Which means tomorrow, June 1st, is the beginning of our summer knit-along. We are knitting cables. Cable anything. Literally anything. It could be a cabled sweater. It could be a cabled hat. It could be a cabled swatch. Any of those things will count for the knit-along. We're not picky. We just want you to flex your cabling muscles. What do you need to know? If you're participating on Instagram, put up a picture and use the hashtag for this knit-along, which is hashtag makegoodcables. All one word. That's the only hashtag we'll be checking. That's how we'll see your work. So make sure that you're using it, and we're excited to see what you knit. And if you're not an Instagram user, we're still working on some other ways that you can effectively participate. Stay tuned for that. Okay, so now that the housekeeping stuff is out of the way, let's talk about mosaic knitting. Lovely. I would love to talk about mosaic knitting this week. Okay, so it sounds fancy. Mm Mm-hmm. What is it? Mosaic knitting is fancy-sounding. Also, magically simple, but with fancy effect. It's a type of color work that is maybe, I'm going to go out there and say the most obscure type of color work. I think when people think about color work, they think of stranded knitting. They think of Fair Isle. They maybe think of Intarsia because Intarsia is pretty popular. But mosaic knitting is kind of in the shadows. It's not the first thing you think about when you think about color work projects but it's gaining popularity. And what this technique is, is slip-stitch knitting with more than one color. It's a type of color work that's considered single-strand color work because you're only working with one of your colors at any given time, which makes it much easier to do in terms of yarn management. It's kind of a lovely technique that I'm hoping that more people will be interested in exploring. Mosaic knitting is one of those things that I really appreciate because it feels like a technique that given enough time, it feels like something you're like, this is intuitive enough. I could come up with this. Zero percent would I ever come up with the Norwegian pearl. But mosaic knitting, sure. 
like if you didn't know there were other color work techniques, but you were trying to figure out how to use more than one color in a project, this is your logical first swipe at it. Exactly. Maybe mm-hmm. not first, but, <laughs> but you know, a couple dozen times down the road. But we do kind of know who came up with it, sort of. We do. Mosaic knitting was invented by a woman named Barbara Walker. And I'm going to sidebar that claim because I think it's widely accepted. And I'm going to say that Barbara Walker invented mosaic knitting, and she definitely gave that technique the name mosaic knitting. But I am a thousand percent confident that other knitters elsewhere in the world practiced one strand at a time color work knitting and just didn't write a book about it or call it that specifically. Somewhere in history, somebody did that. But she is the knit academic matriarch of mosaic color work. That always feels like a pretty safe assumption for just about anything that's ever been put down in writing. One of the things that may possibly be distinct to Walker's technique is the fact that in her definition of mosaic knitting, high contrast colors were key to the actual mosaic designs. So it's like bold graphic shapes and prints, repeating patterns, but having color A and color B be high contrast was kind of key to her design sensibility and what she intended the practice to be. And of course, over time, knitters experiment and play with techniques and adapt to their own personal aesthetics. So you'll find plenty of examples of low contrast mosaic knitting out there too, or color shifting mosaic knitting. The world is your oyster. There are so many colors to play with. Why just choose high contrast? Okay, so you want to give this a try. What is it going to look like? What's the result that you're going to get in your project if you're going to use mosaic knitting? Mm -hmm. So mosaic knitting looks a lot like stranded color work. To look at a completed project on the outside of the fabric, you may not be able to tell whether it was stranded or whether it was knit mosaic. One of the things that might give you a clue, though, is that sometimes mosaic knitting has texture, and that, I think, is exceedingly rare in stranded color work. Oh, sure, because of, like, the yarn management issues. Right. In the stranded color work that you would find in the yoke of a sweater, that's stockinette. Your fabric is flat. It's all knit stitches. And I'm stretching my brain right now to try and think of an example of a pattern that that's not true for. So if your color work stitches in your yoke feature something other than knits and you can think of a pattern, tell me, write to us. But I think I'm pretty confident in that assessment. But with mosaic knitting, because you're not carrying floats across the row in the color work, you can do your mosaic knitting as garter stitch too. You can even twist some of your stitches to create that texture. So if you're finding color work that has those textural elements, it's probably mosaic knitting. So that would be the case for like a stranded color work project, because there are definitely some color work techniques that can incorporate texture and like pearl stitches, like Rusamina knitting can do that. But those are less common. They're just less common designs. Yeah. And I think that those are aesthetically distinct, too. If you see a project that's the Rusamina knitting, it's gorgeous. And you're like, ah, look at that. And also you can tell that it's different than regular stranded color work. So when you're knitting mosaic patterns, you are going to depend on charts. That's something that's kind of distinct from stranded color work patterns, too. Because sometimes you will find stranded color work patterns, depending on what the pattern is, that gives you written instruction. 
a simple color work chart might also have corresponding written instructions. For mosaic knitting, you're really going to depend on those charts. And I like to think of them as kind of like paint-by-number charts. Oh, sure. They're really simple because you're only working with one color at a time, so you only have to be concerned with purling the stitches that are the same color as what's in your hand at any given time. Anything else just being slipped. I also find that it works really well for, like, tension issues. I find sometimes when you're going back and forth doing stranded color work, you're focusing on what you're doing. You have a white strand of yarn and a red strand of yarn, and you're knitting a stitch with a red strand of yarn and whatever. You'll get to the white one in a minute. But as you're slipping a big section of stitches to get to the next section, you're aware that you're doing it in a different way. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that stranded knitting floats are a struggle for some people. Oh, yeah. And like people have lots of different techniques for managing that. When I knit my great gingham raglan, in order to match gauge on the sleeves, I had to knit them inside out. I needed that additional bit of circumference to make sure that my floats were long enough so I wasn't getting weird puckery fabric as I knit the gingham. And that's not always the case for me for stranded knitting, but for that stitch pattern in particular, it was how I had to cope with my own hands production. All right, so what's the actual process like for mosaic knitting? What are you actually doing? So when you're doing mosaic knit patterns, each row that you are knitting is worked twice. Whereas in stranded knitting, those two colors are kind of following each other across your stitches. You're working row one a total of two times. You have two row ones. Uh For your main color, we're going to call it color A. You're going to knit row 1A, which is sometimes how you'll find them labeled in the pattern. And all of your color A stitches are knit and all of your color B stitches are slipped. Then you're going to knit row 1B with the second color and all of color B stitches are worked. They're knit and all of color A stitches are slipped. If this is a flat piece of fabric, you work row one in version A, you work row one in version B, then you turn your work and work row two with color A, and you work row two again with color B, and it just kind of continues that way. Okay, so here's a question. Mm -hmm. Because let's say you're working some fabric flat. Could you use straight needles? I'm going to say no. (laughs) <laughs> somebody somebody might be able to say yes and tell me how I'm wrong, but I think no, because you are working across all of your stitches that you have cast on. And once you do that, that brings you to the opposite end of your work where you would normally turn, but you still have to go across that row a second time. So for flat mosaic knitting, you do need circular needles. Or maybe if it's a very narrow strip of knitting, you could use double points, but you need to be able to access stitch number one a second time before you turn your work and start working on the wrong side. So you work across row 1A, Mm -hmm. and then you will take your fabric and you will slide it back to the same position where you started row 1A, and then you will work across row 1B. Yes. And then you'll turn it and you'll start row 2A. Yes. Can I tell you about the first flat mosaic project that I ever did? The hardest thing for me was if I stopped and put my knitting down between row 1A and row 1B. Impossible. You can't stop. (laughs) No. Because like other kinds of knitting, other techniques, you stop, you pick it up, 
And yes, you know, sometimes you turn it backwards and just start working back the way you came. That does happen. But assuming that you have somehow prevented yourself from making that error, there's really only one direction you can work. We have created a situation where now you could knit row 1A, go get yourself a coffee, come back, forget what you did, knit row 2A, and you never knit row 1B. So that's just something you have to be aware of and keep track of and let yourself finish the row before you walk away from your knitting. Yeah, you're knitting in pairs. So if you want to see what mosaic knitting looks like in practice, like if you've never seen anyone do it, in the show notes, we are going to link to the tiny tutorial on mosaic knitting from Sweet Georgia. Felicia Lowe will be telling you about mosaic knitting, and then you also get to see her do it, which is really handy if you're having trouble visualizing our part A and part B row description of this very visual process. All right, so let's talk about some of the things that you can do with mosaic knitting. What are the possibilities that this technique opens up for you? Sure. So if you're thinking about trying mosaic knitting as a new color work technique for you or as your first color work technique, because I think it's a great option for people who are just starting out with color work, you can choose projects that are knit flat or projects that are worked in the round. Either way, no matter what shape your fabric is, you're working in sets of two for your rows. So that's going to happen no matter how you do it. And remember, you're working one color at a time, but your project can have multiple colors. It can be a two-color project. You could chart your own with three colors in it. You're just going to need to factor for that depending on where you want your stitches to be placed. There are multiple color options out there. The reason that we think it's one of the easiest color work techniques is that you don't have to catch floats. The yarn management is much more reasonable. You're not having to figure out how to tension between multiple strands. It's as simple as just holding one piece of yarn at a time. So <laughs> it's very knitter muscle memory in your hand friendly because it's just that single strand. One of the things that's nice about mosaic color work projects is that they use less yardage than other color work techniques because every row isn't full of floats, which takes up a lot of yardage. Right. I hadn't really thought much about that, but I was doing a little bit of mosaic homework and was like, wow, there really is a difference. Well, and this would be a situation where you definitely want to swatch because it's a different technique and your gauge might be very different. You never know until you try it. So swatch, 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 swatch. Yeah, I definitely have very different gauge from my regular stockinette stitch than I do when I'm mosaic knitting. You have to swatch. And kind of ancillary to that. You have to block your swatch and your finished project. Because of the way that the two strands interact with each other in mosaic knitting, you definitely want to give them a chance to settle. Let the stitches settle and it will let your project live its best life. For sure. So we mentioned Barbara Walker. Can we talk about the history of mosaic knitting a little bit? Yes. Set the Wayback Machine for the 6th century, Sherman. 6th century it is, Mr. Peabody. So slip stitches have been used for a really long time in knitting. And really, that's all mosaic knitting is. It's a series of combining slipped and knit stitches, or slipped and purl stitches. But that's not a 20th century innovation. Knitters have been doing that for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. The specific combination of characteristics that Walker identified is what we think of as modern mosaic knitting. And I say modern, but really this is from the 1970s. (laughs) 
So Barbara's characteristics were strong geometric patterns, high contrasting colors, and a minimum of two colors in a project. She was in her 30s when she learned how to knit. She knit herself a sweater, and it was all stockinette, and she said that she was bored to tears. Mm -hmm. So she thought there had to be something better, something different to do. And she started, like, researching knitting, and I think through that process of research, experimented and landed on this mosaic knitting technique that she became Knit World famous for. She was born in 1930, and she's still alive. She still goes and talks about her knitting in interviews. I think she lives in Florida, though, so she's not knitting a lot currently. Fair. It's hot. But the kind of peak of her knitting contributions where she was actively writing books was in the 1960s and 70s. And they included encyclopedic references on stitch patterns. But in 1976, she wrote the book Mosaic Knitting, and I think it was revised at some time and re-released in like the 1990s. But her book Mosaic Knitting is the authoritative tome on the technique. I am just really distracted by 1976 being as long ago as the 1930s were when I was a small child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where we are. And (laughs) I feel a little dizzy. (laughs) It's, It's overwhelming. My relationship to time is not as strong as it used to be. (laughs) Now, something that was kind of exciting for me when I was learning about this was that I already knew who Barbara Walker was. I just didn't know it. So if you are someone who ever has been involved in academic feminism, whether it's through gender studies classes or being connected to a women and gender center on a campus or anything, you may have come across the academic writing of Barbara Walker. And also, there's this knitting person, Barbara Walker. Surprise, surprise, they're the same person. I had no idea. (laughs) She was an academic feminist and a very famous atheist and a journalist by trade. So she's written about tons of things. And she's written extensively about feminism and religion and New Age practices. She's written a lot about the occult and spirituality and mythology. And she has her own tarot deck that she designed, which is kind of fun. She's a fiction and a nonfiction writer, so there are many things that Walker has written that you could read. That's very cool. There have been a few fairly well-known kind of high-visibility patterns that have come out in the last couple of years that use mosaic knitting. We'll link to these in the show notes if you cannot visualize them or you want to go check them out and maybe knit them for yourself. But Amy Christopher's designed a really lovely triangle shawl that Karen actually started knitting at some point called Pressed Flowers. I'll finish it someday. It's good. It's a really good shawl. Okay. My problem with this shawl is that I was trying to knit it while I was volunteering at the polls for election day. Mm -hmm. And I was not even a little bit paying attention to anything that I was doing with my hands. And I lost track of my rose A and rose B. There was like a section in the middle, I think, where I had been like checking a bunch of people in or something, and I had knit like a 1A, and then I knit a 2A, and then I maybe knit a 1A again because I knew there was something wrong. Like there was just this weird, (laughs) messy situation, and so I had to frog it back, and I just haven't done it yet. But I recently came across that yarn in my stash, and I just kept thinking about how much I like that pattern and how much I want to knit this thing. So I say second chances. Yep. Got to try. There's also a really beautiful, big, dramatic, rectangle-style shawl called the Crystal Star Wrap by Jen Peck that's really lovely, and that's a pattern that she used piece fleece for, and it's not super high contrast. 
but it's very beautiful, so you should check that out. You may also recall The Descent Cowl by Carissa Browning, which was very popular a couple of years ago. Great mosaic knitting project. And then if you're familiar with Andrea Mowry's body of work, she's got like a whole mosaic knitting collection in her shift patterns. So the shift cowl, the night shift shawl, the shifty sweater, the shift along hat, all variations on this stitch that kind of let you play with your color palette. Yeah, lots of cool stuff to try. Mm-hmm. Mosaic knitting's lots of fun. Don't be intimidated. It's a totally accessible, super fun way to play with color in your knitting. So what's on your needles, Jessica? I have started a shawl. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I don't knit shawls very often, but I'm knitting this one for a class I'm teaching in the shop about reading charts and doing some introductory lace work. I'm making Only Ocean by Sylvia McFadden, and it's going to end up being a shop sample. And I'm using Arbor by Brooklyn Tweed, which is their domestic targi base, and it is gorgeous. It is so nice to knit with. I'm very excited about this project. Targi is really great. What's on your needles, Karen? The sunshine on my shoulders. And I have solved my problem from last week. Oh, good. Bobbins. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, for intarsia? Yeah. For the intarsia. Little bobbins. I finally started doing it, and it has been like a night and day situation for me. So that's my big too many strands of yarn intarsia tip. Use the tools that are out there to have a better knitting experience. <laughs> Look at you managing your yarn. Yeah, I'm just using cardboard and gourd pins. So they're not like high-tech bobbins or anything, but they're working great. I mean, is any bobbin really high-tech? I feel like that's a totally acceptable option. So you ask that question, and I feel like somewhere on Kickstarter, there is like a <laughs> Bluetooth-connected smart bobbin <laughs> that will... It whispers the pattern to you. Yeah, it will count your rows for you or something. If there isn't, someone please do that, because... <laughs> we need help. Hey, Jessica. Yes, Karen? Are you ready for a letter? Yeah, let's do it. So this week's letter is from Catherine. Hey, Catherine. I decided to learn how to knit socks a few months ago and have been really enjoying it so far. I recently started browsing patterns to begin some socks with more details, such as lace panels or cables, and realized something potentially devastating. My sock knitting gauge is apparently way off from what is typically recommended. And then they gave us some numbers here, and they're like 25% too big. Their stitches are like a quarter too big. Huh. Most of the time, I just cast on fewer stitches, but some of these patterns rely on this number of stitches in order to produce the correct pattern. I have zero idea why my gauge is so different from the gauge recommended by most patterns. How is it possible that I'm this far off? Is it way outside the realm of normal to have to use a size zero or smaller needles just to get gauge help? Oh, that has to be so frustrating, Catherine. I'm sorry. <laughs> They did also say in the letter that this is exclusively a problem with sock knitting. They don't have this problem with sweaters or anything else, just socks. Interesting. So I find that depending on the size of the needle that I'm using, my hands hold the needle differently. And I'm wondering if that is something that is happening for you as well, Catherine. 
like your small gauge needles are held differently in your hand or your stitches are being created just slightly differently than, say, if you were working on like a size seven or eight needle with a worsted weight yarn. So if you need to change your needle size down to a zero or a double zero, I think nobody likes to think about knitting socks on needles that small. Somebody does. What am I saying? Somebody loves it and it's their favorite needle size. I think that's maybe what you have to do, though. If it's creating the fabric that the designer is telling you to expect, then that is the tool necessary for the job with your particular human hands. I'm totally borrowing this from Arnie and Carlos, but they frequently say it's easier to change your tool than it is to change your body. If that's the way your gauge is rolling off your hands, this is why there's a range of needle sizes. I very strongly agree with that. Sage wisdom. (laughs) Now, if you really like socks that you are knitting currently on size one needles, There are lots of sock formulas out there. You have clearly figured out a pattern that works for you at that particular gauge. It's entirely possible to get like a stitch dictionary and insert your own lace or cables or whatever characteristics that are appealing to you from other sock patterns and incorporate that into your vanilla sock recipe that you have that fits your foot. If you decide you're like, I emotionally cannot knit a sock on triple zeros to get gauge, (laughs) that might be your situation. So you have some options, but I think that this is not totally unheard of. People kind of need to dramatically shift their needle sizes sometimes to be in line with what a designer is telling you. You're not alone. It happens to all of us at some point. And I would say, too, there is never really an ideal situation to have to change the stitch numbers when it's a more complex pattern. But the fact that your gauge is pretty consistently a quarter off from what it should be is going to make it a little bit easier than if you needed three extra stitches. That's going to be helpful. You can maybe make the repeats work depending on the pattern. Yeah, it sounds like you're going to have to continue to experiment a little bit, but let us know how it goes. We'd love to see pictures of your finished socks that are successes. And if working on those small needles works for you, that's excellent news. We support you. I think that might be it for us this week. I think it surely is. You can listen to us anywhere you get your audio podcasts, including where you may be listening to us right now. You should rate and review us because it helps other knitters find us. Tell your friends. You can follow us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod. You're about to be able to find us on YouTubes. So head to the Make Good Podcast (laughs) website. And follow the link. We didn't actually say this when we were talking about the live. If you miss it, it'll still be there. If you're not able to be there at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 6th, it'll live there. It'll still be there. Yeah. Other exciting news. We've got Make Good Podcast merch. Super cute stuff. Tie-dye hoodies. You're going to love it. If you head to the Scratch Supply Co. website... Boom, right on the front page at this point in time at the end of May in 2022. Go find them and get yourself a good hoodie. We'll link to it on the podcast website and the podcast Instagram as well. Also, big, huge thank you to our Patreon people. You're the best. You're the bomb. We love you. You can go to our website, makegoodpod.com, check out the show notes, and send us questions to dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com, and please include your pronouns. We'll talk to you live next week. Bye.